think that by now, I've probably met most of you. But for those of you I haven't met yet or haven't had any length of time to talk to, my name is Erin Whitaker. I am a social worker. I work with women exploited through the Secretary of Manitoba. I am the Manitoba representative on the Presbyterian World Service and Development National Committee. And for the past two years, I had the privilege of being a member of the Presbyterian National Women's Gathering Planning Team. Now that list alone may seem long and exhausting, and yet it's only a tiny snapshot of what we do. I'm a member of Prairie Presbyterian Church. I'm a daughter, a sister, a homeowner, a roommate, a friend, a best friend, a bridesmaid, times two now. I have a large vegetable garden. I'm Auntie Erin. I have two cats. I do yoga most days. I'm on our ministry committee. I watch children in our nursery. And I can probably make that list go on and on. We live in a world of exhaustion and <laughs> Quick look at any women's magazine or the healthy living portion of a newspaper gives us headlines like, what this former president can teach us about productivity? Or, 10 mental tricks for a more effective workout. Why you feel the need to fix everything and what to do about it. Three easy stretches to relieve neck and shoulder tension. And my favorite, why you shouldn't wait for a health scare to reduce your stress. I would not be surprised if each and every one of us in this room could identify multiple ways that were pulled in different directions each and every day. From the moment we wake up, from the time we finally fall into bed, we've got a huge variety of things competing for our attention. Our jobs, our children, our hobbies, the church, and of course, God. Even within the church, it can be easy to feel drawn in multiple directions, to feel tired, to give up, to say, well, I've done my time. As we look at church budgets, at dwindling numbers, and what we see as inadequate programming, or maybe we see too much programming and too little people. Too many committees, not enough action. It's easy to give up and to lose hope. We sometimes look at the church as a dying entity, just hanging on. And we ask ourselves, is it time to just let it die? And as one person in a church, it's easy to feel overwhelmed with everything we see needing to be done, and to decide not to do anything at all. And it's easy to lose touch with where God is working when it seems like everything we are doing is failing. The people of Isaiah's day were also tired. They were lost. They were confused. And at times, they were hopeless. The passage in Isaiah we heard this morning comes at a time when the people of Judah were facing an invasion by the Assyrians. Isaiah 34 is a chapter of judgment prophecy 
is enraged against all the nations. Isaiah sees great danger in the behavior of God's people. Men, they're going around drunk. Women are caring more about the clothes they're wearing than the hunger of their neighbors. And people are giving lip service to God. And they're paying more attention to the outward appearance of religion than they are to deeper aspects of faith. And then in chapter 36, the Assyrians attack, and the people are captured. In between, we have chapter 35, a break in the midst of the lamenting, and a promise of better things to come. As we go through today's text, I'm going to use a translation that was done by Dr. Patricia Dutcher-Waltz. She's a Presbyterian professor at the Vancouver School of Theology, and she translated and adapted this passage from the original Hebrew. The passage in our Bible is written in the style of Hebrew poetry, and she preserves as much of the Hebrew rhythm as possible. And her translation is very similar to the NRSV, which you heard read by Lila. The wilderness and the dry land shall rejoice, the desert shall shout with joy and blossom. Like the crocus, it shall blossom abundantly and shout joyfully with joy and elation. The glory of Lebanon shall be given to it, the majesty of Carmel and Sharon. Indeed, they shall see the Lord, the majesty of our God. Now, Lebanon, Carmel, and Sharon were a place that the people of Judah would have recognized as beautiful, fertile places in nature. Lebanon was full of heavily forested areas, and Carmel and Sharon were full of corn and cattle. In today's world, this might look something more like the concrete jungle of our downtown will become as beautiful as the Rocky Mountains. The wilderness of our highways will grow fields of wheat, and the buffalo will grow. Strengthen weak hands, and make firm stumbling knees. Say to those whose hearts are racing in fear, Be strong, do not fear. Look, here is your God. The eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then the lame shall leap like a deer, and the tongue of the speechless should be with elation. For waters shall burst forth in the wilderness, and streams in the desert. The burning sand shall become a pool, and the arid ground springs of water. The haunts of jackals shall become a watering hole. The dry grass shall become luxuriant reeds and rushes. Now the prophet Isaiah, through his poem, compares our human sufferings to the greater realities of nature. Just as the eyes of the blind shall be opened, water shall burst forth in the wilderness. And as the ears of the deaf will be unstopped, the arid ground will become streams of water. Not only will 
get up and go, but they shall leave. Those who could not speak, well, they won't only talk, but they will shout with joy. Not only will the dry grass receive water, but it will be luxuriant. There are no halfway promises with God. And then we hear of a highway, a highway in the middle of the desert, a highway through the wilderness. And it shall be called the holy way. The ritually unclean shall not travel on it, but it shall be for those walking God's way. Even fools shall not wander off. No lion shall be there, nor shall any ravenous beast come upon it. They shall not be found there. The redeemed shall walk there, and the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with shouts of elation. Everlasting celebration shall be upon their heads. Rejoicing and celebration will overtake them, and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. For the people of Judah, this highway represented a way home, a new exodus, greater than the first. And it would be glorious. God comes and leads his people to the promised land. A safe place. Hope for a people overwhelmed with earthly suffering. The Presbyterian Women's Gathering offered me a glimpse of this promise. Glimpses of hope in our broken world. More than 600 women took time out of their lives, out of their roles as mothers, grandmothers, daughters, sisters, ministers, elders, Sunday school teachers, board members, professionals, and came together in faith to worship God, to glorify God, and to learn more about Him. People traveled from across the country and from around the world to a conference center in Richmond Hill, Ontario, to celebrate the promises God has given to us. And it was glorious. Now, despite having been on the climbing team for two years, I wasn't entirely sure what to expect from the conference. <laughs> Would people even like it? Would people connect to each other, <coughs> and more importantly, to God? But from the first moment, of the first worship, it was obvious to me that God was there. God was present, and God was working. 600 women singing hallelujah, praising our risen God. And while I didn't see streams of water burst from the floors of the hotel, <laughs> I did see women pushing their own wheelchairs down the hallway. The deaf hearing through the use of our special income system. And a woman, less than a week from her death, praising God in the company of her family and friends. I heard presentations in multiple languages so that all could understand. I saw women joining with strangers for meals and leaving as friends. 600 women, white mostly Presbyterian women, dancing and singing for joy during our offering times. 
spinning and twirling, clapping and linking arms and dancing in circles, shouting with elation in response to the blessings God has given us. Now, as I told this story to someone, and to be honest, I can't remember who, and it doesn't really matter, they said something like, well, that was there. That wouldn't happen at your congregation at home. There'll be no dancing. They'll go back to complaining about the upbeat music. <laughs> and for a little while, I believed them. And I was saddened. But it doesn't have to be that way. Of all of us in the church, this, in this little piece of the church this morning, only four of us were at the women's conference. And it was what some people might call a mountaintop experience. The kind of experience in which it's easy to have faith. It's easy to find energy and to easier to connect with God. We do things like dancing, which we might not do in the course of our regular lives. But it's okay, because we're all doing it together. At the conference, we've stepped away from the confines of our roles, our responsibilities, and felt free to worship. Mountaintop experiences are part of a person's journey, and a part of the church's journey, too. Our church, this group of people called Prairie Presbyterian, is on a journey. We've been called from the wilderness to follow in God's way, on God's path, and it may not be easy. There's no doubt in my mind that we've had mountaintop experiences, the day of our nomination vote, when the overwhelming majority of members of both of our former churches voted to join together. Easter Sunday, when the pews were filled with children and adults worshiping God together. Or our breakfast last Sunday, when we took time to share how God was working in our lives and eat some fantastic food. The future of our church does not lie on the mountaintop, however. The future of our church is in the wilderness, in the barren land. God does not call most of us to spend our lives cloistered away, but to live in and amongst the deserts of our world. <clears throat> For it is in the wilderness that God lays down the highway, and in the desert that streams of water flow and crocuses burst forth into bloom. And so we come from the exhaustion of our day-to-day -day lives to the church. We don't come here as perfect people. We don't come as people who've got it all together or people who have all the answers. We come together in various states of brokenness. Some of us rejoicing while others mourn. Some of us exhausted. Well, some have energy to spare. We come sick with illnesses, both physical and mental. We come scared and confident, tearful and comforted. But we come. We don't always share those fears or weaknesses or vulnerabilities with others, even within the safety 
dying and dying. We are the church, and we belong to God. The good news is that there's hope in the midst of our brokenness. There's promise in the midst of our pain. God's grace is among us. God's kingdom is here and is still to come. God promises that he will lead us home together. So as we gather together, as the brand new Presbyterian Prairie Church, God invites us to journey together. God gives us the opportunity to share with each other our joys and our triumphs, as well as our sorrows and tears. The church is not a place to be perfect, or to fear the judgment of others in your perceived moments of weakness. Although we are people who know the joy of the resurrection, we live in a Good Friday world, full of fears and sadness. And it's only through God we can experience fullness of life. It isn't easy to bring two groups of people together, to start a new church. And doubtless, there will be a lot of work to be done. Budgets will have to be discussed. Locations will have to be considered. And doubtless, we will form committees. <laughs> and it will be easy to get discouraged. It will be easy to say, I've done my time. Why can't someone else do this? We don't have enough money for this. Or it will never happen. But today, I encourage you to look past all of that. To look past all the logistical details and to celebrate what has burst forth. To celebrate what God has done and what God continues to do in our church and in our midst. God invites us to walk on the highway of the redeemed, to drink the water, to leap for joy and elation. It's only when we come together as a church that we can achieve great things for God. When we share our struggles as well as our joys, we become strengthened. And when we worship together as a community, we experience the hope of God's kingdom in our broken world. So what is the answer to all that exhaustion? To feeling tired and hopeless? We won't find it in a magazine or a newspaper. Perhaps it lies not in what we are and what we are doing, those lists of roles and responsibilities, but in who we are, both individually and as a community. We are children of God, created in God's image. We are a community of faith called to walk together through the good and the bad, having faith in the promises of God. Amen.